I don't know if you guys ever had this kind of a uh, experience, but when I was checking out Christianity, I was checking out a bunch of other religions at the same time. And what I ended up doing was going to a Bible study because I thought, well, I don't know the Bible that well. I'll go and see what they have to say there about it and make my decision once I know more. So I went to a Bible study, and, you know, just because Christians are so subversively nice, I kind of forgot why I was going after a while. I mean, I was going for the same reasons, but, you know, they were really good to me. And I really liked the community, and so I kept going. And I, I don't know if they wondered if I was a Christian or not after a while. I mean, I used to argue with the leaders, but, um, but no, nope, you know, I didn't have any kind of profession of faith. And so then <clears throat> at one point, the leader said, we're going to go and we're going to go witnessing at the local mall. And I thought, the hell I am. <laughs> like, I'm not even sure I believe this stuff. But he wanted to get these little tracks and you know, would go find people and you know, tackle them, throw them on the ground, and then read them what was in the tract. I think that was the M.O. Not teasing. But I remember being tremendously upset by this prospect that I would have to go and be obnoxious to people and tell them about Jesus. And so then, uh, a few months later, it hit me. I mean, the Lord grabbed me. I had a supernatural experience, and it was like night and day. It was like darkness and light. I was blind, and then I saw. And so I was working as a lifeguard that summer, and so I would take my Bible with me to work and then read it on my breaks. And when the only thing you have is a bathing suit and a towel, the Bible is fairly obvious. People would stop and say, Mike, what are you reading? And I said, the Bible, it's amazing. And then they would dismiss themselves because they didn't want to know any more about what I was reading. If I'd been reading Crime and Punishment, I'm sure there would have been more conversation. But there was none. And I had no problem talking to people about Jesus after that. It was just natural. It came up all the time. So much so that it offended some people, and other people were quite curious and interested. Go forward many years. Now I'm a Christian for, let's say, a couple decades. And I don't have quite the same zeal that I had when I was newly born again. I mean, I'm nice to people. Maybe you're nice to people because Jesus lives inside of you, and Jesus wants you to be good to people. But, you know, it, it, I know that if I, if I start talking the God talk, I run the risk of being rejected, and I don't want to be rejected by people. So I just let them think I'm a nice guy, which is fine if you never read your Bible. But I continued reading my Bible, and I come across passages like the one we're going to read right now in Luke chapter 10. And it convicted me. Maybe it will convict you too. 
So Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! Go. It's a command. Go. We put the exclamation point in there because Jesus said it as a command. Go. The first thing we find out about the way Jesus likes to do any kind of mission work is that he doesn't like people to do it alone. First of all, he's a group of 72 people. That's 36 pairs of people. We're going to go. These are not the 12 disciples. The 12 disciples are another subset of followers who did this earlier in chapter 9. But it's pretty much the same kind of directive. I want you to go. And the focus here is not so much on the missionaries, on the 72, but the focus here in the first few verses of chapter 10 is on the Lord because it's the Lord who appointed them. And he sent them where he was about to go. And he told them, do this. Ask the Lord of the harvest, which kind of would be himself, to send out workers in the field. So the emphasis clearly is on Jesus here, not on the missionaries, which is great for you and for me, because what it means is we're not doing this by ourselves. Not only are we doing it with other believers, but we're doing it with the Lord. And here's the deal. He's saying, I want you to go ahead of me into the places where I will go. You're like heralds. You're like diplomats. I'm sending forth, announcing the coming of this amazing thing called the kingdom of God. So Jesus totally intends to follow up on everything these guys say and do while they're on this journey. And for me, that's really comforting because so often I think when I'm talking to people about Jesus uh, that, you know, just me out there, God, I mean, when you, when you read the totality of the Gospels, you realize that God has been preparing these people from before you came on the scene. He's going to take care of them after you're gone. That it's not about you, it's about him. So, it's not even emphasized as much the going part as the praying part. The praying part is first. What's the first thing he asked them to do? Is to pray. I want you to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out more workers into his field. More people to get these guys ready. More people to do the kind of things you're going to do. I want more people, and I want you to pray. How many times have you prayed for God to send out more people to announce the coming of the kingdom of God and to work in this? I mean, it, honestly, it has not been at the top of my prayer list for a long time, if ever. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? 
This is why reading the Bible is so important. It's, it's a mid-course corrective. Even if you've been a Christian for 20 years, you're going, oh, oh, I should be praying for God to send out workers. So, that's the primary directive. We pray that the Lord of a harvest will do what only He can do to guarantee the harvest. Really, we're, we're kind of helpless in a lot of ways. As evidenced by the rest of verse 3. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Thinking, oh boy, that sounds like fun. I mean, I've seen the pictures, the old Shaker, Quaker paintings from early America of the Peaceable Kingdom. You ever seen those pictures where all the animals are lying next to each other side by side, you know, and, you know, the wolf is lying down with the lamb and the lion is lying down with the baby. And, you know, and I'm thinking, like, in, in this world, if, if the wolf lies down with the lamb, the lamb will not get much sleep. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> it's not very peaceable. And Jesus seems to understand that. He says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And I'd be thinking, do I really want to go then? Because this sounds scary. But Jesus is always putting us in a place of dependence upon himself. He's going to require faith among these 72 because it's not going to be an easy task. There are dangers around every rock. And this whole idea of go is not just, you know, for some of them. This idea of go is for all of them. And it's just basically, let's just keep the business at hand going on. Let's do the same stuff we've been doing. I'm not asking you to do anything different. I'm asking you to just do what you've seen me do. Keep going. So it's not the idea that some should go as opposed to others who should not go. It's a general command. And this picture of lambs among wolves, I mean, it's just one of absurdity. I mean, can you imagine what it feels like to talk about Jesus with people who may not want to hear him? Of course you can. Of course, I can. That's why we're reluctant to do it. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. We don't want to be branded as weird. I mean, we're weird enough without the Jesus thing. Let's face it. Okay? We just, especially if you're here at Scum of the Earth. And then he says, in verse 4, Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. and Do not greet anyone on the road. I'm thinking, this is a pretty lean trip. This is like me saying, hey, how about after church, we all get up and we walk to Lyman, Colorado. Tell them about Jesus. What do you think? Like, can't go home. Let's just go and trust God. I mean, it's scary. But Jesus doesn't want this to be about provision. He doesn't want this to be about Get out gathering things, getting everything ready, setting up the you know, automatic withdrawals in your bank account or whatever. He just wants them to go. Why does he just want them to go? Because this is urgent as far as he's concerned. 
He's going to go to the cross in six months. And he doesn't want it to be about the provision. And here's the truth of the matter. Whenever provisions and the message of Christ get melded together too much, the message always loses. I mean, you know what it's like watching Christian TV late at night on those high-numbered channels. And you're listening to the message, and all of a sudden, they start talking about how you should give this, and how you should do that, and how badly they need money for this ministry, or the jet plane that they need to fly around the country in. And you're going, I don't know if I want to listen to this anymore or not. The message suffers. And Jesus is going to make sure that the message does not suffer with these guys because they're going with nothing except faith in God. You know, very often we're reluctant to go and do the work that Jesus calls us to do because we just don't think we're good enough. At least I have. I mean, I know my own sin. In fact, I probably don't know it as well as God does. But that has never stopped him from asking me to go out. And here's the reality. Jesus has never, ever had the luxury of using perfect people. Never. Then or now, we are all he has. And so he uses us. And this is business about not greeting anybody on the road. I mean, that seems pretty extreme, don't you think? I mean, it's different when you're downtown on the 16th Street Mall and you're walking and there's a bunch of crazies around and you don't want to lock eyes with anybody. All right? But if you're in first century Israel and you're walking down the road, I mean, probably you feel better if somebody talks to you than if they don't. Yet these guys were informed, I don't want you to greet anybody. Don't even say hello. Thinking, what is that about? Now, obviously, there's the urgency. Six months, he wants them to get going to where he's going. But think of where he sent them. Mainly to towns where there are groups of people. I mean, Jesus only counts people because people count. And he wants them to use their time wisely and go to the towns where they can get a larger audience and start proclaiming what is happening in the spiritual world there right now. Let me put it this way. I used to be in advertising uh, back in a former life. And it's like this. Pretend that you were also in advertising and you had a client who needed to sell soap. And so you had booked an hour's worth of time at the local television station, all their cameras, their crew. You're going to have to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars for this hour of time to get the message out to maybe millions of people in your area. And so you set out for the TV station, but you've got to walk because you're downtown and there's no transportation. And you run into five people whom you could tell about this marvelous soap product. But if you stopped to tell them about this marvelous product, you would tell five people and you would miss out on reaching 
many, many more, millions perhaps. I don't like to think about Jesus this strategically normally. We like to use the word organic, that Jesus just preached organically. But you know what? I think he planned some things out. And sending out 72 people requires a bit of thought beforehand. And how are you going to do it requires a purpose. And I think what he's saying is I want you to go to the towns because that's where the people are. And I want you to get them ready for me because I'm coming. And I want them to be prepared for my arrival. I want them to hear the gospel, the good news. I care about these people. The five that you pass on the road, they'll hear about it. I want you to go and do the things that I want you to do. I mean, I, honestly, I mean, I don't know why Jesus said it. I'm guessing. This is not scripture. This is Mike Sayers. The whole soap story, it could just be a lot of suds. <laughs> okay. Verse 5, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. There were no Motel 6s back in that day. Most small towns didn't have a hotel or an inn. We're not even sure that there was an innkeeper in the Mary and Joseph uh, Luke chapter 2 story, just so you know. I know Sunday school plays like to show the innkeeper, but probably Bethlehem, being as small as it was, didn't have a hotel. So what people did was is they stayed in each other's houses. Hospitality was a big deal in the ancient world. In a culture of honor and shame, if you were a person who showed hospitality, you would bring honor not only to your family and your household, but to the city as well. If you didn't show hospitality, it was, it was a problem. It was a sin in the eyes of God. And so these 72 people going out in groups of two would have to find lodging in somebody's house, a bed and breakfast, so to speak. Airbnb, circa 33 A.D. And what Jesus is saying is, when somebody offers their home to you, I want you to bless that home. I want you to say a prayer for them. I want you to bring my peace into that domicile with you. Because I want them to be blessed. Because they're doing something that's very, very important for the ministry of the gospel of the kingdom of God. They are offering you a place to stand from which you might be able to move the whole entire town. This concept of being a person of peace, I think, is, is worth noting. Very often it's not the person who has the flashiest charisma around who's the most important person in any given small community. It's the person of peace. Muchi Smolensky was such a person when I was a young life leader back in Ohio. Muchi Smolensky was not the most handsome guy, 
He was not the most athletic guy. But everybody liked Moochie. Jocks, freaks, greasers, whomever. Everybody liked Moochie. And as a young life leader, I am entering into this culture of high school students. And if Moochie said that I was okay, then I was okay. If Moochie had Young Life Club at his house, people would come. Even the popular kids. Moochie was a man of peace. And as a result, we would have over a hundred high school kids jammed into this living room, singing songs about Jesus, doing some crazy skits, and listening to the gospel. It was no different, really, in the beginnings of Scum of the Earth Church. I was on staff at Corona Presbyterian, and two young guys came in to the service one morning, Keith Herrig and Larry Landis. Keith was the bass player for a, a band that was just being formed called Five Iron Frenzy. Everybody liked Keith. It didn't matter who you were. You could be a preppy person. You could be a punk rocker. You could be a raver. You could be a goth. Everybody liked Keith. Keith was a man of peace. And if Keith said I was okay, then everybody else would give me a listen, including a guy named Reese Roper, the lead singer for the band, who had a lot more skepticism about pastor types. Keith was the man of peace in a lot of ways that helped begin Scum of the Earth Church because that's when this little community thing started forming. We were years away from what formerly became Scum of the Earth. But I want you to know, you don't have to be the flashy preacher person to be effective in promoting the kingdom of God. You can be that peaceable person who gives that flashy preacher person a place to stay. Verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. So these 72 God got with this message. The kingdom of God is near. Everything you've been waiting for, all the prophecies of the Old Testament, all the hopes and dreams of us since we've been in exile and back for the Messiah to come are about to be fulfilled. Now, they weren't going to be fulfilled exactly the way everybody hoped they would be in a political way. It was much deeper and richer than what they ever imagined, but truthfully, the kingdom they had awaited for their whole entire life and for generations as a people was upon them in the person of Jesus Christ. Now we, as we proclaim this, have to kind of update it a bit in terms of our present culture. We've got to translate this into our, cult, our context. 
What are the people around you longing for? What do they want? What's that ideal world they wish they could attain to? Everybody's got one. What are they struggling under? What kind of things push people down? Just Now, here's a sincere question. Let's answer this. Just pop up and say, what kind of things are people struggling with? What's pushing them down? What's oppressing the people that you know? What kind of things? Just go ahead, a few things. Just pop them up. The man. All right, the system. One more time. Your own pride. Okay. That's a good answer. Brokenness. One more time. Who said that? Finances. Money. Thank you. Loneliness. Parents. Sometimes it's sick parents. Sometimes it's broken relationships. Marriages. Divorces. One more time. Apostasy. Watching people go the wrong way. You see, we're all struggling under something. We're waiting, we're hoping for this glorious kingdom to come. And these people need to know that Jesus is coming to set all things right, to proclaim freedom for the captives, the favorable year of the Lord. We prepare the way. We announce the coming of the presence of Jesus, and He does it in their lives. We can't do it. I'm serious. You can pray any kind of prayer with somebody, and if Jesus isn't doing it, it doesn't matter. We are asking the Lord of the harvest to come behind us and to infiltrate their lives and to give them what they need, because we can't do it. All we can do is announce His nearness. He's close. And he wants to be closer to you than you even think. Those 72 people would have talked about what they had seen in Jesus and what Jesus had done in their lives. Which is what we do. One of the most powerful things we do here on a regular basis is story night. People get up and they talk about how Jesus has impacted their lives, either Ages ago or right now, we leave here changed people because of that testimony. And I'm saying that your story has that kind of power because you are proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God whenever you share it. Verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. That is, down to the realm of the dead. If you go to Capernaum today, it's just rubble where Jesus did so many miracles that are recorded in the Scriptures. Sodom was a uh, city from antiquity that was known for its wickedness and how God had destroyed it with fire and sulfur coming down from heaven. The dense smoke rose for days. 
Tyre and Sidon are two cities on the coast of what was then Phoenicia, now the coast of Lebanon. Tyre and Sidon were extremely wealthy merchant sailing trading cities. They were known for their arrogance. They were known for their love of money. They were known for their violence, their trading and human trafficking. And Jesus is saying, it's going to be more pleasant for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than it would be for these little Jewish towns where he's done miracles and they have not responded. Blows my mind. Blows my mind. Somehow, the spiritual sins here in Jesus' eyes are the worst of the two kinds of sins, spiritual, physical. Rejection of Jesus is the worst sin of all. You reject his people, you reject him. I mean, it's frightening. Chorazin is never even mentioned in the Gospels, folks. We are not no we are we, we are we are clueless about any miracles that Jesus did in Chorazin, which means then that Jesus did so many miracles that they aren't nearly all recorded. Even the ones in Capernaum that we've heard about. And yet some people just don't listen. And Jesus knows this. Jesus is saying, don't worry about it. I'll deal with them. Judgments are coming. You just go and tell them about me and about the kingdom of God. Verse 16, whomever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. This again is not the Jesus we're used to at Christmas time. This is the hardline Jesus. And what he's saying basically is whether they say they believe in God or not, if they reject the message of Jesus Christ in the gospel, they're really ultimately rejecting God. The 72 returned with joy, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the balancing act for that whole lambs and wolves thing, which I'm really glad is there. And frankly, Jesus is saying, even though I've given you authority over demons, even though I've given you 
miraculous powers to do things in my name. Don't get too excited about that. What you should be excited about is that relationship with me that will go on for eternity, that your names are written in heaven. It's easy to get caught up in the hype at church when things are going great. But that's not the point. Jesus is saying that our salvation, His relationship with us, is cause for continuing rejoicing. He's used what's called in Greek the present imperative. It means an ongoing rejoicing that never stops. Continual rejoicing. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 21, At that time Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. Now this is how and why Jesus gets happy. Maybe you're like me and wondering, does Jesus ever smile at all during any of the Gospels? He's always so serious in those movies. But when Jesus says this, I picture him, hands raised, almost dancing as he says it. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. For this is what you are pleased to do. Jesus is happy. And I want to get Jesus happy. I hope everybody wants to get Jesus happy. Jesus has emotions. It's okay. He made emotions. God made emotions. He's an emotional God. And so we have emotions. And I'm happy when Jesus is happy really want to be in that camp that makes him happy. I want to come back from whatever it is I'm doing, trying after he sent me out. And I can, I mean, just think about it. You go and you have one conversation with somebody about Jesus. You come back and you say, Jesus, this, this, and this happened. And he smiles and laughs and starts dancing. Just one conversation. This is the kind of stuff that gets Jesus happy. We've got the whole Trinity right here. You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all interacting. This is a beautiful example of how we're to be in relationship with Jesus and God. Verse 22. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then He turned to His disciples and said privately, Blessed, happy are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Here's the amazing thing. King David, the great prophet, the lover of God, 
the writer of the 23rd Psalm and so many other Psalms, would have chosen to trade places with any one of these 72 nobodies than to be the king of Israel. Why? Because he could see Jesus face to face. He would absolutely trade places. And here's the deal. You take any Old Testament prophet, you give them a choice of, 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 of being a prophet in the ancient Israel and, and doing all the things they did, or being a Christian sitting in a church right now, anywhere in the world, and they would choose now. Because the things that they longed to see are being done now in the church through the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. So you got these 72 guys sent out as missionaries. I want you to kind of dispel all your preconceived notions of what missionaries are supposed to be like and concentrate more on what's going on in this passage of Scripture. These are the guys who are, if you want to get hierarchical about it, they're less qualified than the 12 disciples. They're the second tier. And Jesus gives them the same authority that he gave the 12 to go out and preach the kingdom and to help people. A lot of you think that you can't serve God unless you're in some far-off place. These guys were walking to where they had to go, and some without any sandals, it appears. So you don't have to go far. This is not about institutional recruitment through a missionary organization. This is about you being sent by Jesus. It's the 72 and you who are being sent. So let's wrap this up. Let's go back to the beginning, circa 33 AD. The 72 are to heal the sick and proclaim the arrival of God's kingdom for the rule of God through Jesus has begun. That's their job. Circa 2015. We are to minister to people's needs and point to the presence of God in Christ Jesus. Same thing. Those are equal statements. One equals the other. Different words. Different millennia. Same task. But here's what I want to point out. This includes praying for people as well. This includes praying for people as well. We need to emphasize that the things we do for other people are done in Jesus' name. It's not just about going out and helping people, healing, asking for mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual healing. It's about praying those prayers in Jesus' name. You cannot separate one from the other. It isn't enough just to hang out with people, which is our temptation. Because then all the glory goes to us. 
Well, they think I'm such a nice guy because I do X, Y, Z. I know it's because I'm a Christian, but they don't know. Well, they're supposed to know, according to Jesus, that the kingdom of God is near, that Jesus is coming right behind you to set all things right in your life, in the lives of your friends. If you are communing with Jesus during these relationships with others, then the Spirit will take care of what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to say during those conversations. You won't be a jerk unless He wants you to be. Because some people need to be pushed back on. I did not want to hear from Christians when I was a young person. Didn't want to hear from them. Why? Because I was running away from God in a lot of respects. But it's what I needed to hear. And eventually I heard it. It's really like coming out of the closet to ask to pray for somebody. Because then they know you're one of those Jesus freak people. Because folks don't do that normally. Would it be okay if I prayed for you right now? They're going, I've never really heard anybody say no, honestly. As many times I've asked that question, hardly anybody says don't pray for me. But for me to get to the point where I ask to pray, that's the hard part. Because that's doing it in Jesus' name. At that point, I am out there. They know I'm a Christian, that I've been sent by Jesus. And sometimes God heals and sometimes He doesn't. But we're supposed to pray nonetheless. I've been in situations praying for somebody's migraine. And God heals their migraine, instantaneously, just like that. I didn't feel anything. Did you feel anything? I didn't feel anything. No, but it's gone. Great. Remember one time uh, we were having a Bible study in our house, and Becky Herrick came up onto our threshold and into our foyer. We were in a bi-level, so we had to go up to the living room and then down to the basement. So she had to come up to the living room for the Bible study, and she was grabbing the handrail with two hands and, you know, getting up that way because she had sprained her ankle and it hurt so badly. Then she was going to go upstairs, she was sit down for an hour, have a Bible study. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be, we have to, I mean, I'm, I'm, and I'm thinking of ways that I don't have to pray for her because, but I'm the Bible study leader at my house and I'm thinking, I'm going to have to pray for her. Because um, that's what you do when you're the Bible study leader. We'll pray for you, Becky. She goes, okay. So we got around her, and I put my hands on her ankle. And other people came around; they put their hands, and we prayed. A simple prayer: Lord Jesus, please heal Becky's ankle. All of a sudden, Becky says, "I'm healed." I looked up and I said, "What?" She goes, "I'm healed." I go. Really? She goes, yeah, really. Okay, then then run down my hallway, Becky. Becky was not a small lady. 
Becky gets up out of the chair, runs down the hallway, and runs back, no problems. It was amazing. We prayed in Jesus' name. He chose to answer. That has not happened every time by any stretch. But you know what? doesn't bring us off the hook to follow what Jesus said here, to go, pray for more people to do this kind of work, and then proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick and pray for people yourselves. We take communion periodically here at Scum of the Earth Church. We're going to do that very shortly. And when we take communion, Jesus says, we do this in remembrance of him, specifically remembrance of his death on the cross. This is his body, and this is his blood. But we are remembering everything about the life of Jesus when we take communion, how he taught us to live, as in Luke chapter 10. And so as we take communion tonight, what I'd like you to think about is this command that he's given to the 72 and to you and to me to follow through with what he said, to go where he says to go and do what he says to do, which is to pray that he sends out more people into the harvest field, that we are to proclaim the arrival of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, and that we are to do all sorts of good things, heal the sick, pray for people. Pray with me for the strength to follow that command. Lord Jesus, it is a little difficult sometimes to put aside our insecurities, our fears. We do feel like we are lambs among wolves. So, Lord, we ask that you would protect us from every attack of the evil one against us. That neither snakes nor scorpions in the spiritual world or the physical world would harm us as we go about proclaiming your kingdom. Help us to do this in your name. Amen.